and welcome to the second season, first episode of Mets Mafia. We are very happy to be back. We got a lot to talk about, you know, with the lockout going on, all our free agent decisions haven't been on since around mid-August, so definitely got a lot of cover. I'm going to let Connie and Greg say hello, uh, so I'll throw it over to Connie and let him introduce himself for the second season. Yeah, it's good to be back, Mets fans. Uh, hopefully we have a better 22, 2022 to look forward to. It's already been an exciting couple of weeks. We're excited to get into all things Mets baseball, and it's good to be back. Good to hear you guys again. It's been a minute since we talked to our Mets, and uh, let's get right into it, man. I think uh, last season was a little bit of a wash, but we got some nice things to look forward to this year. Yeah, I think a wash uh, is a good way to categorize last season. Greg, you know, finished the year 77-85, definitely below expectations. Um, I don't have our preseason uh, stuff in front of us, but definitely much lower than we anticipated in the win column. Um, Pete led the team in every major offensive category, uh, home runs, batting average, RBI, on-base percentage hits. Um, you know, Lindor was a little bit of a disappointment as well, had some promising spurts, but I think that season, as Greg, Greg said, I think it was a wash. I think that's really uh, what you could say about it. I think we've done some good things in the offseason, but I'll let Tony uh, jump in as well. Yeah, 20, uh, the past season was definitely a wash. I mean, you got guys be disappointments up and down the roster. And you also saw the end of some Mets careers, like Michael Conforto. He's a longtime Met. He worked his way up into the top 10 on a lot of hitting categories. But his last season was really bad, and it sucked to see him go out that way. You got guys like McNeil and Dom Smith and J.D. Davis rumored to be on the trade block now because of how bad they were last year. I mean, who knows if they'll make those deals. But either way, their futures are up in the air in Queens. It was just a really bad year. You got a guy like Marcus Stroman might have had maybe the most solid season from a Mets pitcher standpoint, and he's no longer on the team. So it's it was a real bad year, but, you know, the team's not in that bad of a place when it comes down to it. We just got to we just gotta see what the future lies ahead. We got a change in manager. The Mets ran Luis Rojas out of the job because of how bad they played. I wasn't too crazy about him anyway, but it's going to be a complete turnaround. Steve Cohen's ready to win. And he was not happy with last year. Yeah, like you said, I mean, we had, we had high expectations going into last year, but uh, unfortunately, not many guys really performed and lived up lived up to what we expected from them. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it was kind of just a year to see who's for real and who's going to be here for the long term. A lot of some guys proved it. A lot proved that they won't be. And like you said, we had to bid farewell, most likely, to Conforto. We uh, said goodbye to Syndergaard and uh, Stroman's tenure is going to be done, but we're moving on and there's going to be a new wave of Mets coming in that hopefully turn the, turn the team around. Yeah, definitely got a new wave coming in. So that is exciting. And um, one thing I did want to highlight, I know I spoke about Pete leading the team in uh, offensive categories. Stroman led the starting pitchers in a lot of categories there as well. Uh, he had the most wins, the best ERA and the most strikeouts. So, you know, losing him um, is going to be big. Uh, one of the, I was honestly surprised they weren't going to bring him back. I thought for sure um, that he would be back in the fold, I guess. Um, you know, they when it, the reports came out, he wasn't really even in their top three. It was Gaussman, Scherzer, and Robbie Ray. So that was curious to see. And I was just wondering if you guys think that uh, it like plays into that narrative like he was bad in the clubhouse. Like, I never bought into that. I always thought that was just Twitter clicks. Um and stuff like that. But I mean, they didn't even uh, have him in the top three of their options. He came out and said that on Twitter that they weren't really interested in him. So what do you guys think about that? I don't know. I don't think uh, 
you know, Stroman doesn't strike you as a guy who's that bad in the clubhouse because he's always so positive energy and whatnot. I think what it came down to was Stroman got paid, I think, around $23.3 million. I feel like if the Mets maybe would have signed someone lesser than Scherzer, Scherzer made $43 million. I feel like maybe they would have went in on Stroman a little bit more. But also Stroman, the way he was portraying it on Twitter, seemed like the Mets were out from him on the jump. He was definitely not happy. To be honest, I don't really understand that because I know like we've had conversations that Stroman is probably going to age the best out of all these pitchers that are free agents because he doesn't have that strikeout game. He's not throwing high 90s. He's a a precision guy. He mixes up his off speed and he locates. So you think that game ages well. But, I mean, you never know. You heard about all this clubhouse stuff and Stroman's clicks seem to be like Taiwan Walker, Lindor, Diaz, and maybe that's where the trouble was coming from with the guys who have been tenured for longer than them. But I think it could be a valid argument, but no one's going to ever know. Yeah, like you said, we're not really in the clubhouse, so we don't really know how that works. I mean, from what we see, it seems like Stroh is a good team guy and he's supportive and he just wants to win and he goes out and does his job as best he can. You know, I I was sad to see him go. Um, I didn't think he was asking for too much money. He earned that money with the way he performed. You know, he was a top 20 pitcher for sure in the league last year and he got paid about the same as a guy like Gossman did but I I think it was odd the fact that like our short list consisted of that Scherzer Gossman and uh Robbie Ray and not Stroh meanwhile he proved he's he can do it in New York he's not afraid of the moment but he was like almost an afterthought for us so maybe they knew something and knew he wasn't looking to return but if you were willing to give that 43 to Scherzer which you know I'm thrilled about and you were willing to offer what you did to Gosman. Uh, it's just a little peculiar that they didn't look to even give that to Stroh in the first place, and they were looking to go to other guys that, frankly, kind of were one, two-year wonders and haven't had proven careers over a long period of time, with the exception of Scherzer. But they, they kind of just threw him to the curb there. But, again, I, I just don't think he really was going to come back. I think I saw Stroh going and moving on somewhere. I didn't think it'd be Chicago, but I did see him going and chasing that money a little bit. Yeah, no, I think those are all good points. Yeah, like you guys said, something just doesn't add up, like with all the factors that we just had there. But, you know, I'm not going to uh, go too much into Stroman. You know, he's with the Cubs now. But do want to briefly bring up our guy, ex-guy, uh, Thor, Noah Syndergaard. Uh, you know, for a time there, as us Mets fans, I wouldn't say we were panicking, but in the span of a couple of days, we were losing guys left and right, and nothing had come in, uh for us yet. No news had come out for us. And then we did make those three big signings. So did you guys have any uh, – cause for concern there when we were losing Thor and such? hundred percent. I mean, at that time when we lost Thor, I don't think I, I was always saying it from the jump that the Mets needed to go in and Scherzer, but I never actually thought they would. I thought like that was just a long shot that they would never actually sign Max Scherzer. So when you think a guy like Thor, I mean, you never know what Thor is going to be anyway. Like, even though we let him walk his injuries, you never know what he's going to be, but I still think he's going to be a good pitcher. So I was very worried when, he left. He was a clear number two in my mind, but now we got two clear number ones. So I think the fact that not a lot of people were expecting Scherzer to be a Met made him concerned. I think fairly so. Yeah, I know I was saying for a while, I want to get Scherzer. I want to get Scherzer, but I never actually thought it would happen. So it's crazy that it did. It is, it's, it's tough to see Thor go. He was always, he's, you know, he's one of those, well, he's not homegrown because we got him in the R.A. Dickey trade, but we had him in his entire career as a pro and he really did great things as a Met when he came up and he was one of the most exciting pitchers to watch when he was 
young and at his best. But, you know, with the injury, you just don't know what you're going to get back from him. I don't blame him for going and getting that extra $3 million that he did uh, to, do, to go to L.A. and see what he can do and play for a contract there again. Uh, listen, I wish, I wish him well. I hope he does good. I'll always be a fan of Thor, but, you know, you, business is business. You got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yeah, and, you know, a combination of the missing out on Thor and then, you know, the Stephen Matt when uh, Steve Cohen thought that he was going to have a chance to match that offer there at the end, didn't. So we went out on Twitter, uh, tweeted a couple of things, and that's when you knew Uncle Stevie wasn't playing any games, you know. So I think that's all things that we have to be thankful for. Um, because that led us to Max Scherzer, man. I think that if we bring back uh, Thor, take the qualifying offer, and you bring in Matt, then I don't think that Scherzer's in play there. So, you know, all those things, um, you know, those were good misses. When you look back on it, hindsight is twenty twenty, but that led us to Max Scherzer. Um, and, you know, he never had any interest going here uh, during the trade deadline. It was known that he didn't want to go to the East Coast. But a union guy, you know, money talks, and now he's wearing that blue and orange. So I'm definitely excited for that. That is a huge get and really just signifies that uh, Stevie is not uh, playing any games. Yeah, and one more thing I want to mention about Syndergaard before we move into Scherzer because I'm so excited to talk about that. But Syndergaard, I will say, even though he took the couple extra million, you understand that, he didn't give the Mets any chance to match any sort of offer. And the reasoning behind it was he was open about it. He said that, just right now, the Mets, it, he wasn't getting communication from the Mets. That was in the period where they didn't have a GM yet. They really didn't have anything going on. And you look back at it, like you said, that's a good miss. But, you know, going forward, like, I'm glad we got Epler now. But that's what cost them in the long run. But like you said, if we signed uh, Syndergaard, there's probably no Max Scherzer. And that guy's on a completely different planet, in my opinion. He's on a different planet than most pitchers in MLB. I think him and Jacob DeGrom on their whole different level. Still stick with Jake. I think Jake's the better pitcher, but Scherzer is unreal, man. I mean, him and DeGrom is a one-two combo. I don't really care the money that we paid Max Scherzer. It's not our money. Every fan that wants to play that financial game, who cares? It's Steve Cohen's money, and he's ready to win. And if you win one World Series while he's here, that contract is worth it. So when you have him and DeGrom going in a playoff series, I mean, you're in damn good shape. You just got to get there. And going back on what CJ asked before, I was never really too concerned about when our guys were going and we weren't doing anything because it's still, it was still early in the offseason at the time. Um, I, I think the main thing, like Connie said, was that we didn't really have a GM for a bit, and that was more of the uh, uh, pressing issue at the time was getting someone in the room with Sandy and Steve and, and who was going to make those decisions. And it was tough to find somebody. I think we found a good guy in Epler, and he seems – like a go-getter as well as Steve does. But uh, it, it was it was upsetting to see, you know, Syndergaard go. And and to and I wasn't upset we missed out on Mats. I was actually thrilled about that. I didn't want him back. But it clearly was a kickstart into what we ended up seeing with those three signings in one day. It was, that's exactly what we needed almost. Yeah, and those three signings really did come out of nowhere there. You got uh, Cana, Marte, and Eduardo Escobar. And I honestly think those are – uh, nice upgrades to the team. You know, you got to take that Escobar and Kana. They're going to take the Pilar and VR roles. Um, and I think both offensively at least are better players um, than what we had there, even though Jonathan VR did have a great season for us. 
Um, you know, I never on, I'll never want to buy high on a guy or like buy a guy at his highest, but you know, that's VR's best year in a while. So there's no reason for us to pay him uh, what more than what he got last year, you know, because there's a bunch of guys that can do his role. And I think Eduardo Escobar is definitely a guy that can handle that. Those three signings for the Mets were huge, man. I mean, Stalling Marte, I mean, he kind of, you know, he lost his period of fame because of Scherzer, but that guy is a heck of a player, and Mets fans should be very excited. I was looking up his numbers. He stole 47 out of 52 bases. When was the last time a Met can do that since Jose Reyes? And you saw the difference that Jose Reyes could make. So that kind of bat in the top of the lineup, you know, you hope guys like Lindor figures it out. I think Pete's going to have an even better year next year. So that guy stealing second base in the top of the first inning or something, that's huge, man. And he's also a, I think he's like a high 800s OPS guy. He hits over 300. He's a great player. And he's also a good center fielder, which is good for the Mets because as much as I love Brandon Nimmo, he's a corner outfielder. So it's good to address that need. Stolen Marte was huge. So I was glad that they brought him in. And um, Canha, one thing I'll say about him is generally he played in Oakland. And he even mentioned how on his old team, they never made these big sort of moves. Maybe he takes a next, next step in his career. It's a completely different environment. Maybe he makes the most of it. I like Escobar. I agree with you, CJ, 100%. It's going to be kind of like Villar and Pilar, and it's a big upgrade. I think uh, Nick Plummer, also they brought him in. Just give him a quick mention. He's probably going to be a bench outfielder for us. You never know what he brings. But overall, the Mets made solid moves before the lockout, and I think they addressed depth, and they also got some stars that they needed. Yeah, that Nick Plummer guy, uh, I was watching that video that was going around on Twitter. He looked like he had a little bit of Conforto in his swing there, which is pretty interesting to note. But uh, like you said, out with Villar, Pilar, and um, and Conforto, and in with Escobar, Canna, and Marte. They all seem like three upgrades in uh, each one. And the thing I like most about the three of those moves is you're bringing in veterans who have proven that they can play in the league and that they are built for the moment. You got a guy like Marte who's a, who hits for average, swipes bags, plays a great defensive center field. Those are all things that we need from a top-of-the-order guy and defensively. You got a guy like Escobar who is going to come in and he's probably going to play somewhere in the infield almost every day. And he, in his last three, four years, has been a high RBI guy, which, as we saw last year, was one of our biggest struggles, not batting well with runners in scoring position. And you add a guy like that in the middle to the bottom of the order and, you know, we can it's someone more to rely on. And those three guys we departed with, that was three of their biggest struggles was getting the hit when we needed most. But now we bring in these three guys who will do that. So, and Canna, you know, Canna was always more of kind of like a rotational outfielder. I, I, I like to hope he's going to have the same uh, role, probably as that fourth outfielder, but he's going to see a lot of time. But I'm just glad we're, we're going after guys that are filling needs. You know, we're not just going and getting guys to, to fill a roster almost. We're getting some guys that we think can, you know, take us to that extra, that next level. Yeah, I didn't really address the Marte um, signing when I first spoke, and, you know, that's definitely huge. Uh, he's a little getting a little long in the tooth there, a little old, but like you said, Cuddy, before, it's not my money, so he definitely will bring a different element to this team, stealing the bases and such. We don't have anybody uh, on the roster now that really can do what he can, so that definitely is a huge signing. Um, I agree, Greg. I think Connell will be like a fourth outfielder type thing, but uh, Cunny was alluding to the depth, and that's huge. As you saw last year, um, we're still going through a pandemic too. So injuries, COVID, all those things combined, uh, I think it is definitely huge that we were able to get some good depth signings there. I don't think that we're done. 
Um, I don't necessarily think that Eduardo Escobar is going to start every day. Um, I think that he definitely could, but I definitely think that Steve wants to add um, some other pieces there. I know, Connie, we were talking about before we came on, um, Chris Bryant, something like that. So I think that Eduardo Escobar definitely will get his at-bats. Um, I think that McNeil potentially uh, could see uh, be on the way out. I just um, With the raccoon leak that just came out uh, over the offseason and such, um, a bunch of other factors. I think that McNeil, the writing is on the wall, his time to be coming to an ending Queens. Um, but I think that we do have a lot of options. And the window that we used before the lock, lockout, it was huge, man. We definitely brought in some great additions. And the team looks uh, better than it did when the season ended, for sure. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. Eduardo Escobar is an interesting guy because all of a sudden, our infield is kind of clogged up with a bunch of, I don't want to call him mediocre and knock him, but really that's kind of what we got. We got McNeil, Cano. Don't forget Escobar. Bobby Cano. Yep, Robinson Cano is still in New York Met, and he's back next year. And, I mean, he's going to play. Uh, I think he's going to play a lot, to be honest with you. He's If the DH comes into play, I feel like you're going to maybe see him even get more action there. We'll see what happens with the lockout and the agreements and stuff like that. But Robinson Cano is probably going to play. Even in his last year before the steroids, you know, he did hit a little bit. So I definitely feel like they're going to give him his run. But you look at Villar, we didn't expect Villar to play as much as he did. I could absolutely see Escobar just kind of running with whatever chance he gets and kind of turning into an everyday type player exactly like Villar did. But there's a the offense definitely was upgraded. I think the offense last year, the problem was we were very base-to-base -base oriented and we didn't have guys who hit. So that was just a complete disaster. We would have guys get singles and we would have no one who hit extra base hits besides P. Alonzo and Lindor in September. So we never scored any runs. That was the big problem. Now you got guys that like Marte who could create some havoc on the bases. And even uh, one thing about Marcana is he hits for power. You know, he might come off the bench. He might hit some big home runs. So you never know. And he could also get Pilar had a ton of playing time down the year. But our offense is vastly improved and you brought in the second best pitcher in the MLB. You can't really have much to complain about. And with bringing in these guys and the positions that they play, it's, it's telling me that we're going to be seeing one or two out of the three between McNeil, Dom Smith, or J.D. Davis moving out. And one or two of them's got to be on the chopping block because the, the field is getting crowded, you know. And I know everyone's thinking McNeil uh, is probably going to be on his way out, which I can see because it seems like him and uh, Lindor were beefing a little bit last year with everything. And it seems to me like ownership is looking to do whatever they can do to please Lindor to the most part. And, you know, Dom Smith's more of like that team guy that everybody loves. And McNeil, if he is becoming a problem with a couple of the guys, he's going to be the first to go. Me personally, I would, if I had to choose between the two of them, I would want to keep McNeil mainly due to his versatility, play two infield spots, two outfield spots. Dom Smith's kind of only handcuffed to just left field at this point, which I believe Nimmo's going to be playing with Marte in center. And it's, it's going to be, I mean, listen, Dom will find a spot if he hits, but he did not hit last year. And he looked just as bad as anybody on the, uh, at the plate last year. So it could be him. And he might still have a little more value in, on, in the trade market than Jeff might right now. So if he can be shipped to get an arm or if Jeff can be shipped to get another arm, Either one, I think, is what they need because they still are missing that fifth starter. Uh, I think we can improve on in the rotation there. But it, we're going to be seeing those changes. I just don't like how Dom can only play one spot that's, that's getting a little crowded out there in the outfield now. 
Yeah, great. I'm honestly so glad that you brought that up because this is probably what I'm most excited for this offseason. We got McNeil, J.D. Davis, and Dom Smith. And like you said, two of those guys are probably going to go. And then you add that in, we're probably going to have four picks in the top 50. I saw it uh, on Twitter as well. It might be six picks in the top 100, um, depending on how you look at it with what Conforto does. I think we're going to have a lot of ammo in the trade market. So I definitely could see us going after one of the red starting pitchers, a guy like Luis Castillo or Sonny Gray, uh, really bolster the pitching staff that way as well. And I wouldn't rule out maybe another bat uh, if they do try and go that way. I think Vientos, Ronnie, I don't think that those two guys – are safe because, like I said, those six picks, top 100, four picks, top 50, you're going to replenish the farm system there. So I definitely could see a prospect or two that we hold in high regard moving as well. So I'm very excited for the um, trade aspect of our offseason. Yeah, the trade's going to be interesting. Greg, you made a really good point about the value versus trading Jeff McNeil and the value of trading Dom Smith. I think Dom Smith has a little bit of a higher ceiling but that's exactly why he's more valuable on the trade market. And Jeff McNeil has proven himself at times. Like, you know that he could hit. He had a terrible year last year, but you could see that the plate, he was completely lost. And also, one thing about Lindor making all – like, you know, him and Lindor had these problems. What about Pete Alonso? He, he's done a lot for this franchise, and he's got to have some say. And that's, Mc, that's McNeil's boy. They're close, and I don't know. I would like to see – if I had to pick one to stay, I'd still say Dom Smith because I still think Dom Smith could be a really good player in the MLB. And McNeil, as good as McNeil is, you kind of see what his cap is. You you see he's like a 300 hitter. He could for average power, but he's not that great defensively. But Dom Smith, I feel like he just haven't he hasn't hit his peak yet. And going back to the prospects, Slim, as you mentioned, a good thing to point out right now is how good Brett Beatty has looked in his uh in his stint in the minor leagues. I think he's almost working his way into the untouchable, but I'm worried if we go to the trade market, that's the guy who teams are going to start demanding. I don't want to see Beatty go. I want to see him stay. I think he's a future third baseman of the New York Mets. I think him and Alvarez should not be touched. I agree. I think Mauricio and uh, Vientos, is, you could ship them. Let's go get a fifth starter, a fourth starter, someone to bolster that rotation. And we also still need a bullpen arm. I wouldn't mind to see. I know I saw trade rumors regarding uh, Rodgers on the Twins. I would love to see a trade like that happen. We didn't address that in free agency. I still think the Mets could be very active on the trade market. And we've seen it last year. We've seen it actually back-to-back offseasons. They always make big trades in the offseason. That seems like it might be Sandy Alderson's MO. See if they keep it up. Yeah, I definitely agree with you guys that we could potentially be looking to ship some of these uh, younger prospects that are almost MLB ready. I do think, like Cunny said, um, Beatty should be untouchable. He's proven to, he's looking like he's going to be a proven stud, and we need that cornerstone third base guy. And we have another cornerstone prospect in Alvarez at catcher. Those are two positions we've been lacking for a bit now, and we're going to have them soon. And the thing I'm the reason why I'm hesitant to say like shipping Mauricio is because that's a guy who could come up in a year or two and that could be our middle infield for the future of him and Lindor. And we, the guys we signed are great and all, but they are in their early thirties. We have two of them on two year deals. Marte's on the four year deal. We still do have to keep these young prospects because, you know, once Escobar and Canna's time is done and then Marte's time is done, we're going to have to refill third base. We're going to still have second base is going to be open eventually when Cano's finally gone and whatever we do with McNeil and then the outfield, the spot's going to open up, even though none of them play the outfield, but we, we should look to hold on to, I think Beatty and Mauricio at all costs, but Vientos is a guy I'd want to move. 
Uh, I, I really think we got to move those MLB ready guys right now, like Jeff, JD or Dom and go for an arm, like CJ said, from the Reds or with Taylor Rogers. Those are all great moves, I think. But uh, one more thing about the Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil thing. I'm glad Connie said this is you got to give Pete Alonzo his respect is because he's been our homegrown guy. He is kind of who, you know, when the Mets were awful a couple of years ago, he was that bright shining light that we had with that rookie season and all those home runs. And you got to give Pete a little bit of a say too. He's kind of the heartbeat of the Mets fan base. Everybody loves Pete. You know, he's a little bit of a goofy guy and he's funny and all, but Pete, like everyone loves him and he, he deserves as much of a say as a guy like Lindor. To be honest, I love Lindor. I love the signing. I'm I'm so happy he's on the team. I was never too crazy about the fact that you bring in this guy on this monster deal, who's a proven stud, one of the best shortstops in the league at his best, but they go and they're catering to all of his wants and needs right away when he kind of wasn't, he's never done anything to prove himself as a Met yet. And to come in with such an awful start that he did and then go and do all these moves for him just kind of rubs me along the wrong way. I really wouldn't want to go and cater to a guy just because you signed on for him for 10 years and he's the star. I think you got to do what is right for the full team rather than just one guy. And Pete is at that same caliber of a player as Lindor. And, you know, you got to take his, you can't be all about these clicks. Like we said, Oh, Stroman might've been in a click or wasn't a, there was a problem with guys. It, it, who knows? We don't know how Lindor is in the clubhouse. I hope he's not like that, but I wouldn't want to see a guy like Jeff go just because of that. If it is because we think Jeff really is declining and his, his talents falling off and this is the most we're going to be able to get for him. If we trade him, then that's a good reason to do it, but I wouldn't necessarily trade him just for that. You know, it, it, Donald Smith and him are both in the same boat of where their talent was just declining mightily last year. And they both looked awful at the plate. So you kind of got to just do what's best for whatever a team wants, whether it's one or the other at this point. Yeah. I think for me, when it comes down to um, Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil, it just, who do I think can get back to their height? I don't, I think that Jeff McNeil is very far away from that 330 hitter that we saw a couple of years ago. I think his swing, ever since he tried to hit for power in that second half, um, his swing kind of has not been the same. I don't think he is that 330 hitter anymore. I have much more faith in Dom getting uh, back on track. He did look lost last year, but his, it didn't look like, his mechanics were out of whack or he was changing his swing, trying to do something different. He just looked like he was having a bad year at the plate. Um, Jeff, he, it does, he doesn't look anything like that 330 hitter when he did when he came up. So that's the biggest thing for me. Um, I love what you brought up about Lindor. I think that's kind of what did Rojas in. He just let um, Lindor walk in there and be the man of the clubhouse. And then when he was playing poor, things were going south. He tried to um, pull back the reins and there was no pulling back the reins at that point because you can't, do that to a $340 million man when the manager is making less than $5 million. So that's just not going to happen. Um, especially when you just let him walk in and uh, do whatever he wants. He was the leader from day one there. I mean, he was making the money, didn't work out great. So I think that definitely was um, a, a error, a lapse in judgment, you know, just poor on uh, Rojas's part. I think that other people were a factor as well, but I think that really did um, Rojas in and that's why he's not the manager here anymore. Um, and then regard the reason I didn't bring up Beatty and Alvarez because yeah, like Cunny said, I think those two are definitely untouchable. Um, I think Ronnie is too big to play shortstop. I think his best spot would probably be third base as well. But like I just said, Beatty untouchable. I think that does make Ronnie movable. I don't think he really plays second base. That is a big boy. I think maybe corner outfield for him, something like that. Uh, but I think he is going to move off shortstop. 
I think he eventually will be a third baseman. Um, I do love his game, but with Beatty, uh, who is further along and is looking more of a short thing, I could definitely see Ronnie going um, for something good, you know, something that could really help the team at this time. You can't blow him with uh, like JD or Jeff, something like that. That gets it done without Brett Beatty. So I think those that's a move that we definitely could see a combination of one or two major league guys Vientos, I definitely could see move one of those pitchers, maybe Allen or Ginn. I think they definitely want to keep those who's our pitchers. Uh, pitching prospects aren't as far along, you know, lost that with Rocker. So that's why we'll be getting another one of those top compensatory picks. So that is definitely huge. But like I said, the pitching is not as far along. So I could definitely see the bats, Vientos, Ronnie, one of those guys moving with a combo of our major league dudes. Yeah, it's a great point, what you said about Ronnie, about how he's too big to play shortstop. And also, we got our shortstop for 10 years. So would you rather keep a guy who's going to play out of position for the next couple of years, or would you rather trade him for a guy who's ready to help you win right now? It's not saying Mauricio is going to be a bad player wherever he ends up, but right now the Mets, like they just signed Max Scherzer to a huge deal. They want to win right now. So you got to go get more guys to help win right now because that's what you're building for. You don't just sign Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer to the same team to wait around for young guys to step up and finally come into their own. You trade those guys and go get proven veterans who are ready to go. And Brett Beatty is not far off either, so he better be untouchable. He's probably, I wouldn't say this year, but maybe the start of next year guy, you never know. Like He's not far, so he's got to stay. He's the only one. I'd say him and Alvarez, like I said before, they got to stay. Anyone else can go. And one thing I will say is I would trade Ginn. I know the Mets want to keep their pitchers, but I'm not sold on Ginn. I like Allen a little bit more, but when it comes down to it, I want to see the Mets make a move to win right now because why did we sign Scherzer to $43 million to just watch the young guys develop? No, we want to win right now. I'm just going to jump in real fast. I apologize, Greg. I just wanted to jump yeah. in because I thought Cunny made a great point that you look with the Yankees and Clint Frazier. You know, the Yankees uh, were prospect hugging Clint Frazier for so long, and now he just walked away for nothing. Not that I think that would happen to Ronnie. I think Ronnie is a great talent, but that's what can happen. The prospects aren't a sure thing. Cunny said, we got Scherzer. Go do the sure thing. Sorry to cut you off, Greg. You go ahead and kill it, my brother. No, you're good. I was going to kind of say the same thing because you're right. You you don't want right now the Mets are in win, win now mode with who they got and they have a little bit of an older roster and they should win now. I was a big proponent this early in the offseason about going and signing whoever. And at first I was like, oh, I don't care if we sign somebody who's a who declined a qualifying offer and we lose a pick. I don't want to do that anymore, but I definitely see what you're saying. I wouldn't want to hold back on making a trade for a guy like Castillo or a big bat that can really help us right now. If it meant trading Mauricio, I guess I just have a little bit of PTSD from dealing Kalenic for, you know, Diaz and Cano, which really hurt back then. But, you know, it's a new regime now with Brody out the door that hopefully if we're going to deal a guy like Ronnie, we really get somebody who's going to actually make that impact right now and be what we're looking for the last piece of the puzzle. So if it's something like that, then I'm okay with parting ways with him, but it, it can't be for, kind of a guy that's a little hit or miss or a relief pitcher. You know what I mean? It has to be a starter or a bat that's going to be there every day and go right now for this upcoming season. Yeah. And I don't think any of us are proponents of like blowing up the farm system. They're trading everybody. Like I said, we had all those picks coming in. I think it's just a good way. We obviously want the farm system stock. We want a lot of talent there because that keeps you good for a long period of time. That's how you sustain, uh, sustain success like the Dodgers have. 
Um, and that's kind of where the model that we want to be. So, you know, we keep the farm system with uh, MLB potential dudes, guys that can play in the big leagues. And I think that's a good sign. So I think that we did hit a lot of the lockout. I think we'll jump in. I think Billy Epler, uh, we haven't really talked much about him, but you know, uh, all these signings basically have come from him, you know? So he's kind of uh, hit out of the park. Well, he was known for um, his big money moves with the angels and such. So I definitely liked him. If any of you guys want to add anything else about the lockout, not the lockout, uh, what we've spoken about for agency moves and stuff. We have talked about the lockout, but definitely just jump in there. And Billy Epler, uh, welcome to the Mets. We're happy to have you. Yeah, Billy Epler is a great guy to bring into the mess because, like you said, he was a big money spender in L.A. But the one thing that always followed Billy Epler was he didn't spend the money on pitching. And one of the first moves that he made with the Mets was signing Max Scherz. So I think he walked into a great situation. Listen, if you're a GM coming in to work for Steve Cohen, you got to be happy. I mean, this guy came in, took advantage of his resources right away, which I like to see. And I'm really excited. I mean, you know, with the way the GM – hunt went down you were a little concerned for a while because everyone was getting turned down but teams weren't letting people interview for the position like it looked like the whole league had it out for Steve Cohen they did not want Steve Cohen to get his GM and for the Mets to win but Billy Epler's done a solid job so I think that was definitely a win for the Mets and I like the moves he's made so far yeah I didn't know too much about Billy Epler until we brought him along and you know I like I like we were alluding to earlier a big reason as to why we weren't making moves is because we had to fill that spot. And I think we got a guy who seems like he's who will go out, spend money, make moves, do what he has to do to win. And I know Steve has that mindset right now. And I think Sandy does too. So I'm glad I'm happy to see him there. And what I liked to see with the Mets approach so far this off season was that they went and got the players. They're filling out the team and everyone, the whole talk was like, Oh, you see what the Mets are doing. They're going and filling a team and they don't even have a manager. They don't even, and it's going to show kind of a new direction the MLB is going where you don't really need the manager to dictate a lot of them on the roster or build a team to a manager's, you know, wants or needs or anything. But I think it was a smart move to go and get the players before the lockout began, because now with the players union versus the league going at it and trying to discuss all this, the Mets are now at liberty to go and hunt down for a manager right now while all this is going on. So it was kind of smart to put that on the back burner at the time, go get the three offensive guys we did and Scherzer. And now we have an, an indefinite period of time to go and find the right manager. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else is like me, but I was definitely confused when the, uh, we were still getting reports that the managerial uh, candidates were coming out, you know, it was leaking. The Mets are still interested here interviewing people. I was like, how can they do that uh, when there's a lockout? But like Greg said, only the players, you have to do the players union and the owner, so only the players are locked out. The Mets can still go after the owner. So I think that is a great point. They went in, did some spending before the lockout, um, and I think that does set us up nicely. We'll be ready to um, make some moves. We got some time for Billy Epler to get um, acclimated. You know, he's only been here for a little bit, so I think he's probably got a lot of work to do during the lockout, just um, looking over the roster, top to bottom, you know, um, the whole franchise really just trying to see where he wants to add, um, what pieces he thinks can be moved and such like that. So I do think um, that is a good point that we went in there and got those things done before the lockout. And uh, one thing I did want to bring up, uh, I know I brought up earlier in the podcast, I said, uh, did we have cause for concern? We were missing out Matt, Thor, stuff like that. I think a big part of that was not that we were concerned or anything, but there was no GM at that time. So that definitely was something it's like, all right, like, when is this going to happen? Everybody's getting turned down. None of the uh, other teams wanted to give Steve a shot to have 
uh, give any of their guys an offer. So that's what was happening there. Um, I'm glad that we were able to get Epler. Uh, looks good so far. And uh, with the managerial candidates, we'll see. So, uh, Connie, what do you got to say about that? Yeah, the manager candidates are interesting. I mean, you we've heard a bunch of names brought up already. It seems, I could be wrong, but it seems like the top two seem like Brad Ausmus and Buck Walter. Buck Walter seems like a fan favorite. Everyone that's a Mets fan seems like they want to bring him in. Even Max Scherzer came out, I think it was today, and he said he wants Buck to be manager. Buck Walter, he's got a good history. You know, Terry Collins advocated for him too. I think he does represent what the Mets need. You know, he's an old school type of manager. He's not going to let anyone take the power in that clubhouse. It's going to be his team, even though we know how the MLB works nowadays. He might not make all the decisions. But when, when it comes to the clubhouse, he's not going to be pushed over by anybody. He reminds me a lot of Terry Collins. But one thing I want to throw out about the managerial candidates is one name that I saw brought up that I really, really like is Bruce Bochy. I hope he could turn into a dark horse, and I really hope he could get the job. If I'm going to be honest, he's probably my top option. He's a guy who's been there before, who's won a couple times, and he's really good at what he does. Buck Showalter was good too, but he just never reached the level that Bruce Bochy was on. Bruce, Bruce Bochy is a multiple-time champion. I don't know what's going up with that, but it seems like Buck Showalter is a favorite over him. But I would like to see Bruce Bochy come in. But in my gut, I think the next manager of the New York Mets is going to be Buck, especially when the guy who just find, just signed for $40 million puts in a good recommendation for him. It's probably going to be the move. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Buck. Uh, I know a couple of years ago when he was just kind of doing stuff with MLB Network, his name wasn't floating around for managerial spots as often. But he's a guy I always, I always wanted to be a Mets manager. And if people have listened to the podcast before, know that we are not we were not the biggest fans of uh Rojas last year and he uh I think what the Mets were missing was a guy like a Terry Collins who's gonna be able to hold the guys accountable and you know Luis could never really do that but I think um a guy like Buck even a guy like Bochi like Connie was saying like they've been around the game for so long to the fact that they will they know what it takes to win and they know what it takes to to turn the clubhouse into a winning atmosphere and, you know, bringing in guys like Scherzer, who've been here before, you know, I know Marte and Canna uh, and Escobar have played on winning ball clubs for a long time at short periods of time. Yes, but you're bringing in more guys that are used to a winning culture, but it starts with the manager first off. And Rojas really didn't, couldn't really do that to what it seemed like to me. But a guy like Buck really can do that, which is what I think the Mets were missing last year and what they really need going forward. Yeah, uh you know, Connie, uh, Bruce Boshi is definitely an interesting name. That's the name that uh, one of my work pals, you know, uh, during our downtime at work, he was telling me, and uh, he was one of the names that he brought up was Bruce Boshi. And that I think the GM of the um, Giants, he was one of the few guys that was actually interested in the Mets job that we turned down at that time when we weren't able to interview anybody. Um, I'm, the, his name is escaping me at this point, but the Giants GM who was there uh, when they won the championships with Bochi, he was interested in the Mets job. So I thought that uh, at a time, Bochi and him together, that definitely could be a move. Um, as for Buck, uh, I think like uh, like you said, Greg, um, a guy like Terry Collins, that's definitely what Buck Walter is, a uh, guy that will hold somebody accountable. So I guess he's my top option. I'm not too crazy about him, but I definitely want somebody with experience. Um, one name that I wanted to bring up, uh, you know, probably should still be the manager, Carlos Beltran. You know, he did get the short end of the stick. A.J. Hinch 
got his job right back. And so did Alex Cora. All they missed was that 2020 pandemic season and nobody batted an eyelash when both of them uh, were brought back to the major leagues, but Carlos Beltran still out of a job. So I know Cameron Maiden went out and tweeted that the Beltran should be the Mets manager. He said he's one of the um, brightest baseball minds he's ever, he's ever been around. Um, I don't think that ever was in question. So I think it is tough that Beltran hasn't gotten a second chance, but I think that uh, Showalter is definitely the favorite for sure. Yeah, I love Carlos Beltran, man. I mean, I wish he was a manager of the Mets. Like, he's just so well-respected around the game. And even when he was a veteran playing for all these different teams that were making playoff pushes, they all look to him like a coach. So you get the you get the feeling that he could be a really good manager. I think he will get a shot someday to manage some team. Sucks that it didn't work out for the Mets. But another name, now that we're talking Carlos Beltran, that surfaced in uh, Mets media news, but he's not going to get an interview with Curtis Granderson. I was talking to uh, my dad actually about this. He's a big Mets fan too. He was like, I would love to just see Curtis Granderson come in and be the bench coach, you know, and then mold him into the next manager. Now, like Curtis Granderson would be a great guy to have, but the Mets aren't giving him an interview An interview, because I agree with you, CJ. We need a guy with experience right now. We just saw how the last experiment worked with Rojas. Let's bring in a proven guy. And just one more thing I'll add about the manager is it's going to be everyone's saying how it's going to be a quick process because they got nothing else to focus on. But I think the Mets might take their time with this. I think Buck looks like the favorite right now, but you never know what could happen. I know Joe Espada was brought up a couple guys. Like, I think they're going to give everyone their fair look. And you don't know who will be the next manager of the Mets. But either way, like you were saying, I hope it's a guy with experience and a guy who's tough because I don't want the players to walk all over the manager like they did with Rojas. Like Lindor was in charge of that team and you just don't want to see that happen again. 100% Cunning. I think because the lockout is going to be as long as it may be, they, they, they have plenty of time and they just have to take their time. And as we saw with, you know, past front office guys or managers, whatever the case may be, the Mets made the wrong moves the last few guys who were in charge. So it definitely would be a good idea to take your time, whether, you know, they got, acts for different reasons but just make sure they really get the good uh, the right one who's a good one and I would be thrilled if Beltran's name became back into the uh, equation a little bit I, I know when they did hire him for that brief time me and Connie had gotten together and we watched the press conference and we were getting so excited and we thought wow this is the guy that we you know can can really lead the, the guys to a winning culture into the right mindset because he always was that player player coach type guy that players really took to and listened to. And I think you brought up Grandy's name too. I think he's another guy that was a lot like that too. And my, my dad's a huge Granderson fan too. Loved still thinks that's one of the best signings the Mets have made in the last five, 10 years or so. And he was great for us as a player, but also as a leader, I know he's not really going to be under consideration, but I love what uh, your pop said there, Connie, that maybe they should look to bring him in and into the clubhouse as a bench coach. Cause I think he's the type of guy that probably will find his, his way into the league one day as a, uh, as a manager and to have him there with whether it's a, a wily vet manager, like a buck or, or uh, Bochy, someone who's been around and then to have him in there is a good mix. And even if we go and bring in a guy like Beltron, imagine having a Beltron and a Granderson in the, in the dugout right there. Those are two guys that, won't let have players walk around them and players will listen to when they speak. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good point, Greg. I wanted to go back to um, something Connie said before, you know, Max Scherzer, uh, it's been reported that he does want Buck Showalter um, as the manager. I think that one thing uh, that's kind of going under the radar here is that Scherzer did sign when we had no manager. I think that says a lot about Steve's, uh, Steve Cohen's leadership 
Um, you know, he went in, supposedly his wife spoke to Max Scherzer's wife as well. That really um, pushed the deal along. Max Scherzer, he's a player union rep. So money does talk. But under the Wilpons, I guarantee nobody, no free agent like Max Scherzer in that level is signing here with no manager. There's just no way. I think it also does speak to where baseball has gone and where the manager has kind of been. Um, his value is uh, lower than it was, you know, not making all the decisions. A lot of it's by the front office, a lot of analytically driven decisions. So I think that definitely plays a part. But Max Scherzer, if we, the Wilpons or the owners, definitely would not have signed here if there uh, was no manager. So I think that is something that um, kind of went under the radar, but that's huge. Uh, shout out to Steve Cohen. Definitely happy to have him as the owner, and that's uh, something I'm very proud of. Yeah, definitely. Like you said there, I think Steve was a big proponent in that. And I'm really, I'm ha I, we're all thrilled when Steve Cohen bought the Mets a while back and we knew we had a feeling he'd be the savior and he's really trying to push to make those moves right now. But one of the things that stuck out to me when I listened to Scherzer's presser was he said that he said, you know, Steve Cohen seems like an owner who really wants to go out and win and to play for a guy like that is an awesome, is an awesome thing. So and that hearing Max Scherzer say that, a guy who's so respected around the league as a player's rep and as the player that he is in the league and his his everything he's done, that is going to go a long way for not just right now with what we're hoping to do, but for the future. It's giving the Mets a better look than having when the Wilpons owned the team and everyone thought we were a clown organization. Now Steve Cohen is really changing that that vibe a lot. That's a great point that you guys bring up, especially CJ. You said how we signed with no manager yet. You have to imagine that during these negotiations, Scherzer brought up who he wanted to be manager. And you have to imagine Steve Cohen is probably going to agree with him to keep him happy. I mean, Max Scherzer is a huge influence. And then Terry Collins is one of the most respected managers the Mets have ever had. And he's still a part of the organization. You got to imagine his opinion matters. So with both of them endorsing Buck, I really think you don't want to look ahead because anything could happen, but I really think Buck Walter will be the next manager of the Mets. Yeah, you know, I think that we all brought up great points. I think we had had a great episode so far. Um, we did just want to pay our respects to the late Gil Hodges, you know, 1969 uh, Mets championship manager. Uh, he did great things for the Mets organization. Um, one of the most, uh, one of the greatest defensive first basemen of his time with the Brooklyn Dodgers there. Um, so he did just uh, get inducted to the Hall of Fame. So we're very happy to hear that. One of the Mets, uh, I think we have 17. Is that correct? I don't know. That number, 14. that number might be a little 14. Yeah, 14. The people in the Hall of Fame. All right. So yeah, Gil Hodges, he's being inducted in there. So, uh, you know, it's been a little long, but, you know, thankfully now he's getting his respect that he deserves. So uh, definitely good to hear that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we obviously were from a later generation, but everyone, like when I talk to my uncles, my dad, my grandpa, they're all like Gil, like they were so ecstatic to hear Gil Hodges go into the hall, what he did for the New York Mets and especially Brooklyn. I know he was a Brooklyn guy. My dad grew up in Brooklyn. He said he would always be hanging around the community and he was just like a top notch guy. He almost had 2000 hits. He was a phenomenal manager that brought a 1969 miracle Mets team to a World Series that they never should have won. And when you look at it, the Mets have only won two of those. So that's like a hell of an accomplishment on a manager perspective. But then he was also, like you said, a phenomenal player. Played great first base. He was a great hitter. And he was a great leader. And it sucks that it took this long, but it was awesome to see. I saw a video of like the Zoom call with his wife and his children, how happy they were. And it's just a real honor to see him 
inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it always sucks when a guy finally makes it after he's passed, but uh, it is a great thing that he finally made it in. My dad always talks about it. He was printing out all the articles in the newspaper. He was texting my brother and I. He was, he was so excited. He was my grandfather's favorite player, he was saying, growing up, being a Brooklyn guy, too. And, uh, you know, Gil, when the Mets first started, too, in 1962, Gil was at the end of his career, too. But he was like, when the Mets were a clown, clown team in that first year when they were brutal, but Gil was like the headliner name that – of the Mets back then. And then he came in and was the manager. And when they won in 69 and the Mets don't have too many numbers retired, but he's one of the few up there. So it's really, it's really cool to see one of our guys finally make it in there, which is well-deserved. Yeah, definitely well-deserved. I think everybody uh, said good things about Gil. Like you guys said, dads, grandpas, my dad said the same thing. Loved Gil Hodges would always talk about him when I was young. Um, like you said, when he was there at 62, Casey Stengel, Metsies, Metsies, Metsies. Um, so it's definitely good to see uh, Gil Hodges get into the Hall of Fame. We're happy for that. I know you alluded to when they've already passed away. That sucks. Uh, Tom Seaver won't be able to see his statue. We think the Will Ponds for that. But uh, that should be coming out. I think that's the opening weekend, right? That's the Mets are unveiling that statue, the first home, uh, home series of the season. I think that's when the Tom Seaver statue will be out there. So. Uh, that's definitely something exciting to see. Hopefully it starts on time and we're not locked out of an MLB season. I think that uh, spring training might be delayed a little bit. Pitchers and catchers, I don't think we'll be getting there in February. Yeah, 100%. Tom Seaver, another thing about him was he was always a huge proponent of Gil Hodges going into the Hall of Fame because he's such a respected player in his own right. He always advocated for Gil Hodges to be in the Hall of Fame. You almost wish that he was still around to see Gil get elected to the Hall of Fame, but even like you see all these 1969 Mets players just sharing how happy they were to see it finally happen just proves how well-respected he was. And CJ, for your, for our sake, I hope you get to see some spring training baseball, but I'm on the same page as you. You see all these reports about how it hasn't been this bad, maybe in forever between the players union and the owners. You got to hold they resolve it because at the end of the day, the Mets are looking good and we want to see some baseball. Yeah, I just really hope that this delay, you know, maybe spring training is pushed back or is shorter. I don't want, I just really hope opening day doesn't get pushed back, man. That would suck to see baseball, uh, this to go that long without baseball. But, uh, you know, it just, it sucks to see how far apart the players and the owners really are right now. And it just seems like it's a petty war going on right now with them removing everybody's pictures on their rosters and then all the players going and doing that on Twitter. That's just a, a, a initial sign to me that they are nowhere near in the right ballpark on what they're looking to do. But we got guys like Scherzer and many more who represent the players who are highly intelligent guys that I, I hope can lead and, and do the right thing and the owners will do the right thing by them. You know, I just hope the players, they treat the players right and get what they what they need done. You know, I, Manfred, we're never, a lot of people aren't too crazy about him. And I know a lot of these decisions might go past him, even though he's included on them. But I want the players to be represented, you know, first more than anything, because they are the ones that bring in the money in this business. They're, they're the product for the customers. So they're the ones who should be taken care of first in this whole thing, not more than these rich million billionaire guys who own the teams. It's about them first. So I just hope they do right by them. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, uh, the players definitely have gone the short end of the stick. I think a lot of the issues that are popping up now could have been taken care of in 2016. Um, they beat that lockout by a day. So they got it right before the deadline. They came to a new CBA agreement and they kind of just punted a lot of the main issues down the road. So that's why we have the lockout 
um, currently. I, I definitely agree with what you said, Greg. The players, they do deserve um, a bit a bigger share of the pie there. But I don't really have tolerance for either side in this point. You know, we just went through a pandemic. Um, it is, a like you said, million-dollar industry, if not billions. Uh, the owners definitely get more than their fair share of money, so the players deserve to be compensated as well. But when at a time when it's going on a pandemic and stuff like that, uh, I think it's just a little tone deaf to be sitting there fighting over that. But, you know, I definitely do understand players union and stuff like that. They fought so hard to get where they've been. They're not going to give up any ground there. Um, so I do respect that. But I do think it is a little tone deaf to be doing this in a pandemic when people are hurting overall. So. Yeah, and people, you got to think about baseball's popularity. I mean, it's not as popular as it once used to be. A lockout only hurts them. If they don't start the season on time and they just keep pushing it back, people might lose interest, man. I mean, you hope for baseball's sake just that they resolve this quickly. I know some of the issues are, regard, are regarding, like, arbitration. I personally think arbitration's pretty terrible. I don't think the players should have to wait six years to get paid in the MLB. I think they were talking about making it age or something, right? They wanted to get a certain like they were a free agent by a certain age which is an interesting counter but it seems so far off I just hope we see some good progress in the next couple months so like Greg said we could see opening day on time and if they don't do if they don't start opening day on time and they really start to push back they're just they're fools because they'd be missing out on what is their time you know in the summer baseball is pretty much the main sport that's going on and the fact of the matter is besides true baseball fans once September hits and it becomes more of, you know, the fo the main focus of the public starts to think, look forward to football season and everyone's getting excited at that and watching for that. And people will start to lose interest in it come then. But if you then, if you now push the season back, you're just going to lose more interest and lose more viewership early on, which is just going to hurt everything that they've been struggling with for the last five years or so. And they can't let that happen. But obviously when October comes, you know, everyone's back watching the playoffs because baseball playoffs are top notch. But they got to do what's best for, yeah, the players, but just for the business of baseball, because it, it is slowly dying where people lose interest, but they got to fix that. Like, that's a big problem that they also are battling with. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think they can't afford a lockout from a popularity perspective. That would definitely hurt them. So hopefully they do, they do get a decision done quick. They come to an agreement and baseball is back uh, when it should be for opening day, first pitch goes as scheduled for the season. That would definitely be um, in everybody's best interest. I think that we had a great episode. I'll let everybody say their final remarks. But uh, like I said before, when we started the episode, so happy to have Mets Mafia season two, episode one. Um, CJ Owens, thank you all for listening. I'll throw it to Cunny, let him say his final remarks, and let's go Mets. Yeah, it was good to hop on, guys, and talk about how the Mets have made some good moves. It's good to talk about some good after a rough season. But with the lockout coming up, we're not sure how much we're going to be recording because we don't know how much there is going to be to be talked about. So we hope this is resolved quick. We hope we could get back on the podcast talking about more free agency moves, who our next manager is. And as always, just check out our Twitter. We're always throwing out our thoughts and updates on there. And yeah, let's go Mets. Boys, it was great to be back. Always a pleasure talking the Mets with you. It is going to be a long, cold winter without uh, much going on, but uh, we got some nice things to look forward to, so I'm excited.
All right. Once again, thank you all for tuning in. Like Cuddy said, we're not sure when we'll be back again with the lockout, but definitely tune into the Twitter. We'll be giving updates there. Uh, love everybody when they interact with us on Twitter. That's one of the our favorite things about doing the podcast is the Twitter. So make sure to reach out and follow, uh, and we'll definitely try and uh, follow back, uh, interact with you and such. That's so much. Let's go Mets. LFGM.